Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from 10, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Valentine. T. Morris. Kitty Nakian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Christiana Ellis from Nina Kimberly the Merciless and Space Casey. You're listening to episode 19 of Down From 10, and this is the story so far. Six days in, and now the dying starts. Unbeknownst to anyone but the shadow in the dark, Jeremiah fell final victim to the nightly attack. The question now is, how long until somebody finds him, and who will it be? Chapter 19, E-4, Morning Everything in the universe has a nature that emerges from the bottom up, its nature determined by the meta-realities arising from the interaction of its constituent parts. Although, in the end, ultimate understanding of the sheer complexity of the universe may elude humanity's feeble intelligence, things do have their nature. Even tubes of paint. How in the hell? That's not possible. He obviously needed to have a talk with Messrs. Einstein and Alcubier about the flaws of temporal mechanics. Kevin squeezed the white next, hard as a rock, like someone had filled the tubes with plaster after throwing the canvas in a drying oven for a couple months. The thing about oil paints, which Kevin knew from long experience and longer obsessive research, is that they take years to dry. Paintings like his, made using a knife along with his brushes, pulling dollops of paint up in textured whorls, took six months. Sealed in a little steel foil tube, oil paint could easily last twenty years on a shelf. What happened? Kevin looked up to see Amos in his sweats with a towel around his neck, his head cocked to one side like a disgruntled cocker spaniel. They're all dry. Not just dry, completely hardened. He held the tubes up helplessly. Every last tube. Every last drop on the palette, everything. Fuck me with a chainsaw. I think there's one in the garage. You're a big help. Kevin tossed the tube back onto his easel and picked up a paintbrush. The bristles were dry, too. Come spot me. Kevin flung the brush back down into the brush box. Sure, why the hell not? I don't have anything better to do anymore. He followed Amos glumly out into the solarium, feeling oddly resigned. Of all the stuff that pegged his weird shit-a-meter this week, this might have been the most annoying, but it was also the one thing he'd seen that was completely, totally impossible. Someone had to be playing a prank. The sheer dorky inventiveness of it put the whole thing down to either Garrett or Katie, and neither of them would give over easily. Amos tossed his towel onto a chair, following it quickly with his sweatshirt, and started loading up the barbell. It's been a long time since I did art history. Can't you rehydrate or re-moisten the paint with some thinner? Kevin wandered around the dark room, trying to ignore the obvious metaphor. There's nothing I can do with the acrylics. Once they're dry, they're dry. It's not worth the trouble to try to powder them and re-emulsify them. 
He circled around by the spa and started back toward Amos, who made an after-you gesture. Kevin waved it off. No, please. Amos shrugged and stepped up to the bench. Thanks. The oils, I don't know. I might be able to do something about them if I can figure out what to thin them out with. Kevin half-squatted next to Amos's head and cupped his hands underneath the bar. He kept them a quarter inch away as it moved, leading it up and down, ready to grab it if Amos's grip slipped. Didn't Byzantine painters use olive oil? Amos grunted between his reps. Uh, I suppose they did. I don't know if that would work here. Even if it would, I have a feeling Carol will want to keep any we do have around for Jeremiah to eat. Amos pushed the seventh. Yeah, I didn't think you cared whether he lived or died. I don't. He can suck my big, fat, hairy toe for all I care. Jeremiah brought out the childish in him, and he hated it. Careful with that. Adele, yeah, might get jealous. <laughs> Fuck you very much. Amos pushed the last rep up over the edge to rest on the weight bench's rack again. Now! He rolled up to his feet and slapped the bench. Work some of that anger off. Kevin stripped his shirt off. The cold pouring off the windows hit him, twisting his nipples into little knots like one of Gerd's inventive blindfold games. Take it down to 120. Amos shifted the weights obligingly while Kevin hopped in place to get his blood up. So you're going to do the body painting with chalk? No, those are water-based. Kevin swung his leg over the bench and laid back. I'll just have to find a way to powder them and remix them. It's the painting from the other night I'm worried about. Without my oils, there's no way to finish it properly. He hefted the bar up over the safety lip, then lowered it slowly to his chest. Amos squatted obligingly over his head, providing a satisfyingly lumpy view. Well... You're going to have to grab the olive oil, then. Fine. Ugh. You distract Carol. Ugh. I'll snatch the oil. I think you'd be better distracting her. She's having a hell of a time with first contact in her new book. Mm-hmm. Oh. Four down. Nine to go. It's a language credibility thing. Ugh. Call a physicist for a linguistics problem. Ugh. Makes perfect sense. Ugh. Worked fine on Star Trek. Yeah, they also had transporter beams. Ugh. And warp drive. Ugh, and a Klingon romancing a Betazoid. God! He hadn't lifted weights since high school. Now he remembered why. Relax, relax. You're going to pull a muscle. Three more. You can do it. Kevin nodded and concentrated on getting the last three out. On the way up for Rep 15, Amos started talking again. What about that book, The Physics of Star Trek? Lawrence Krauss is a hell of a guy. Well, he's not above a little creative license in the name of education. Ugh! There. Not bad for a 98-pound weakling, eh? (sighs) Words cannot express the awe. Oh, Tosh, you don't lose your virginity. Katie poured a packet of cream of wheat into the pot. It's not like you set your keys on the kitchen table and then knock them into the garbage disposal. Okay, smarty pants, what would you call it? Adele sorted obsessively through an unattractive assortment of refried beans, spam, canned tuna, and water chestnuts, apparently attempting to divine the magical recipe that would allow her to create something approximating breakfast. Well, that all depends on the person, doesn't it? Some people give it away, some people have it stolen, others throw it away. Really? Adele squinted at Katie as if sizing her up. Which one were you? Oh, now you're getting personal. Hey, you started it. Katie dithered, but the cream of wheat conspired against her, congealing so fast she had to pull it off the fire and slop it into a bowl. When she made a play for the silverware drawer, she found Adele waiting for her with arms crossed, a mug of coffee at her lips, and one inquisitorial eyebrow raised. Well, I... misplaced my... 
Adele choked on her coffee. Katie used the cover to steal a spoon and retreat to her breakfast. After winning the argument with her body about whether or not coffee was a suitable oxygen transport, she managed to catch a breath. Then the spasms set in. Adele just about <laughs> fell over laughing. <laughs> Misplaced it. Yeah. Katie put her spoon in the bowl and made a play for the kettle. There was this boy who I thought would like it. She set it to the tap and filled it. Turned out he had other tastes. How about you? Mm, my husband. You're married? Well, this was an unexpected wrinkle. Like a celebrity who'd had too many facelifts, Adele was full of unexpected wrinkles. Katie turned off the tap and set the kettle to boil on the stove. I was. Adele almost whispered, as if confessing to a disapproval of pederasty while in the Vatican. Didn't take? Katie ducked into the fridge in search of some maple syrup. Eh, I was young. He was my classics prof. Just barely out of school. Conservative school. We got married because we were in love, and uh, we bought that guff that God cares about your sex life more than anything else. Adele scrunched up her face, condescending to her younger self. So your man? Well, he had his angel. After a while, we didn't want any of the same things out of life. Oh? Katie popped her head up over the fridge door and arched an eyebrow. I wanted to make a living with my photography, and there was this amazing opening with World Vision. He didn't want to travel. He didn't want kids. He did want to go to Barbados with his new friend. Ouch. Katie winced and ducked back into the fridge, continuing her quest for the syrup, which she found a moment later hiding behind the cluster of premium mustards. She seized it and extricated herself from the thing's chilly maw. Yeah... Then, when I got back a couple of years later, he came crying to me for forgiveness, and I was heartbroken. So, we tried again. Katie made a frog face. Oops. She popped the top on the syrup and poured a glop into the bowl. Adele sighed indulgently. <sighs> well, that was a long time ago. So, she was the angel you talked about last night? Adele blinked blankly for a moment, then seemed to catch up to Katie's conversational track hopping. Oh, heavens no. He just talked about her like she was his guardian angel. It wasn't until he slipped once and called his angel Joan that I got suspicious. Takes all sorts, I guess. Katie popped her spoon into her mouth and rolled the sweet, warm slurry around. She moaned happily. It was a proper breakfast. Particularly when you're 20 and don't know how to pay attention yet. But I guess that's how you learn. Adele set her mug down on the counter and poured another cup of coffee. Twenty? That's a hell of a lot better than being twelve. God, tell me about it. Adele chuckled and picked her coffee back up. Your body starts advertising services you don't even know about yet. Ah, oh, si, senorita. And by the time you do, you have to relearn how to advertise because you've spent years dressing down, hiding yourself, and trying to avoid looking at yourself in the mirror. You too? Katie raised her hand and waved her spoon as if hoping to be called on in class. Gods, yes. Early puberty victim here. Amos lumbered into the room and unceremoniously dove into the pantry, grumbling all the way. <laughs> you think that's bad? Try being a boy and not being able to talk to a woman for fear of being cast into hell. What kind of church did you grow up in? No, not by God. All Katie could see was Amos's butt as he spoke, and despite his sardonic growliness, he wasn't talking out of it. By the girl and her friends. 
Amos? Katie scooped up another spoonful. I shudder to think what goes on in that head when you're masturbating. Amos stood abruptly, clutching a quart bottle of olive oil protectively to his chest, looking for all the world like Smeagol with a bright, shiny ring. Pesto. I just can't get away from thinking about pesto. The sexy green, the flavor. God, so nice. He bowed his head over the bottle and skulked out of the room, shuffling sideways for no readily apparent reason. Katie turned her head back to Adele to find the missionary staring after him with her mouth open. Do you want to know? Why are you looking at me? You spent the night with him and Carol. I managed to keep Italian food out of the proceedings. Thank you very much. Choosing what she hoped was the wiser course, Katie turned her attention back to her gloriously garlic-free weedy porridge. After another spoonful, she had to face facts. Although Katie wasn't big on absolutes, some were absolutely necessary, and this was one of them. Cream of wheat, swimming in syrup, butter folded into it from the beginning, couldn't simply be eaten. It had to be enjoyed with one's full attention. Katie took her bowl and spoon over to the table, sat down at the head, bowed low over the bowl, and inhaled it deeply into her lungs. A lovely cocktail of gluten, atherosclerosis, hypertension, and diabetes all mixed into one bowl. She deposited another delicious scoop onto her tongue. Adele still leaned against the counter by the coffee machine, staring off into space with a peculiar expression on her face. Katie let her be for another few bites, but as her breakfast neared the bottom, Adele didn't seem to be anywhere near the end of her mullings, and the older woman's face was falling, a little bit at a time, from a wistful smile into a distressed grimace. You all right, Bella? Hmm? Oh, um, sorry. Just thinking about last night. And? Honestly? I don't know what to make of it. Adele took another sip of coffee. Katie had never seen any woman drink so much caffeine. She found herself wondering how much it would take before Adele started staggering around like a walking earthquake. The kettle reached its limit, blowing its top with all the finesse of a poorly tuned dog whistle. Move at your own speed, Chiquita. We're the patient kind of board. Katie obeyed the keening call, making her way over to the stove and the forthcoming finish to her breakfast. And if I never assimilate? I'll still love you for the size of your lens. Now, she needed a mug. Easy enough, she unhooked one from the pegboard under the cupboard. Lifting the kettle off the fire with her left hand, she set the mug down and fished a hot chocolate packet out of an open-topped tin with her right, putting the envelope between her teeth and tearing it open. Katie dumped the hot chocolate mix into the mug and poured the boiling water in with it so it would dissolve with a minimum of spoonal activity. That was the perfect way to end a breakfast. With the smooth, cloudy brown swirling happily in her hands, she lifted the mug up to repeat her olfactory ritual, when she saw Adele's troubled face watching her carefully. What is it, Bella? Sorry, it's not really my business. Come on, out with it. Adele took a deep breath, as if working her courage up to step off the high dive. Last night, you said something about a boy... Drinking hot chocolate? Like you'd seen him here. Why would I see him here? It wasn't until the words were out of her mouth that Katie realized she'd snapped, and she shrank back a little apologetically. We were all talking about things that we'd been... dreaming. Now you're drinking hot chocolate for the first time this week. Oh. Yeah. Katie slid around the island until it was between her and Adele, hiding her discomfort behind it. It's just... The guy who introduced me to Carol years back. Am I... No. 
Katie forced a false smile and convinced herself to step back into the main aisle, close enough to have this conversation with the missionary. No, it's a good memory. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have Stop thought. that! Please, for God's sake! Adele jerked her head back as if she'd been slapped. What? Apologizing when you didn't do anything. Katie plunked her mug down on the counter and gripped the edge of it to keep from gesticulating so wildly that she thumped Adele by accident. Stick up for yourself. Jesus. Oh, right. Sorry. Uh, mm. Adele seemed to wrestle briefly with her innate sense of meekness. Uh, go screw yourself. Now it was Katie's turn for surprise. Before she realized what she was doing, she leapt at Adele, picked her up, whirled her around, and kissed her mightily on the cheek. That's better. She set the older woman down and smiled. Genuinely this time. Adele shook her head bemusedly. You and Carol are like the two faces of Pavlov. Well, I learned from her. Always steal from the best. Katie felt Adele return the hug, then let her go. Both women retreated to the safety of their drinks. Mulling over her chocolate, Katie considered Adele's initial question. After giving her so much grief for backing off it, Katie figured she owed the older woman an answer. Still, choosing the actual words was slightly less easy than walking a high wire blindfolded. He was the boy who I... Misplaced? Yeah, him. I was 17. He introduced you to Carol? Not exactly. But you... I was so in love with him. Beautiful boy. I thought he looked 30 because he had the scruffy little peach fuzz goatee. God, he made me shudder. They always do. Yeah. Katie sipped at her chocolate. She needed to choose her words carefully, or Adele would wind up prying a lot deeper than she ever wanted anyone to go again. It was bad enough that Carol and Sarah knew. Hell, it was bad enough that she remembered it. He came over to my house one afternoon. I told him I needed help with my homework. What happened? Katie snorted, then laughed in spite of herself, and moaned with the kind of humor that only remembered revulsion can bring. God, he was terrible! <laughs> Even by then, I'd had more exciting times with a pack of Hebrew nationals. But his body felt amazing. So warm. So nice. She took another sip, letting herself come down from the good part of the memory and refocus on the rest of it. <sighs> and the next day, when I passed him in the hall, he acted like I didn't exist. And then I caught him behind the gym, kissing one of the boys from the basketball team. So there I was, working in the lunchroom. It was so easy, I didn't have to think about it. I wanted him to suffer. There was the drain cleaner, right next to the hot chocolate. I just slipped a bit into his cup when I saw him in the line. Oh my god. Yeah. Carol saw what I was doing and, and reached in front of him. Grabbed his cup, left the lunchroom. I ran after her to stop her from drinking it. So, he's how I met Carol. She was a TA in Sarah's English class then. <sighs> Lucky. So, every time I dream about him since then, he's drinking hot cocoa. He's been in my dreams a lot this week. The older woman nodded, but said nothing. There didn't seem to be much else to say for either one of them, and Katie was secretly glad of the silence. The women leaned against the counters opposite one another, sipping their beverages, each alone for the moment in their own private worlds beneath the snow. It's not that much of a problem, really. Don't worry about it. 
Carol yanked another towel down off the makeshift clothesline. After Kevin had caught her doing the sheets a few days ago, he'd prevailed upon her to stop using the dryer when it wasn't absolutely necessary. All it did was increase the humidity in the house and put a bigger load on the electrical system. Hey, I just come where I'm told. Carol sighed, then shrugged and tossed the towel to him. I suppose he's just trying to help. Kevin caught the towel. He folded it and dropped it on the pile. Well, if you're stuck... I'll get through it, Kevin. It's not my first time around the block. Okay. Kevin shrugged and grabbed another towel. They folded together in silence for a few moments, until Carol noticed that he was piling them five high. She nodded at the towels. Only three per stack. Good prime number. Oh, stop. Carol stopped her folding and squinted at him like he was a yapping chihuahua. Kevin, I love you. And you're about as subtle as a hysterectomy. Well, if that's what you think of my painting... Bastard. Carol bowed her head to hide a creeping grin. Kevin finished the last of his resorting. Six stacks. Carol tucked the four from her side of the table under her arms and led him to the door. Bring them on out. Kevin followed her along, stealing a glance into the kitchen as they passed. Amos hugged a bottle of olive oil to his chest like a protective toddler with a teddy bear. Kevin winked to let Amos know that he had Carol occupied, then dodged around the conversation pit so he had her near the fireplace, distracting her while Amos snuck out into the solarium behind her. Sarah sat happily on the couch working in her sketchbook, and he scritched her head as he passed by. Seriously, Carol, you have a problem establishing communication with an alien race? Use prime numbers and chemicals. Oh, that's original. Carol opened the basket and waved Kevin towards it. Just because Asimov used it doesn't mean you should ignore it. Kevin dropped a stack of three towels into the basket. Novelty, Kevin. People don't read science fiction for the same old, same old. They don't, huh? Sarah kicked Carol lightly with her foot. Eight guys on a ship. Aliens. You're right, I've never seen that before. Carol swatted her foot with mock indignation. Hush, child. So predictable. Sarah shook her head and returned her attention to her sketch pad. Carol pushed past Kevin and headed for the stairs. Novelty isn't everything. He trotted along after her. How many mysteries have you read where a handful of people are stuck in a boat or in a house out in the middle of nowhere and people start dying? Okay, okay. Carol conceded as she mounted the head of the stairs and hooked a right into the hallway. You sound like a high school lit teacher. You're the one fretting about novelty. <sighs> My readers have just gotten used to a certain... Oh, what's the word? Je ne sais quoi? Carol smirked at him and knocked on Gerd's door. Gerd! We. Oui? Fresh towels! A second later, the door opened and Carol thrust the towels at Gerd, nodding toward Kevin. And this rascal is abusing your language. Gerd cocked his head to the left and regarded Kevin for a long moment, then spoke to him in French. Observez là, compère. Watch it, buddy. We don't take that kind of thing lightly. Je parle très peu français. I speak very little French. I know not what you say, but you are welcome to fuck any goat you find on my land. The Parisian giant returned his attention to Carol and continued in English. Well, there's no problem here. That's a proper notion of French hospitality. Carol, who obviously had no clue what they were saying, shrugged. If you say so. Well, it hurts not to check again, I suppose. Gerd turned his attention back to Kevin. Say chef, mon ami. goats, my lad, you count yourself among them? Certainement, mon ami. Certainly, my friend. I'll eat anything you put in front of me. Kevin played it straight and cool, doing his best not to give Carol the slightest clue of what they said. Excellent. Excellent. I shall see you tonight. Gerd nodded, satisfied, then switched back to English. Carol, you shall have to deal with him yourself. I have no quarrel with him. Gerd retreated back into his room, closing the door behind him. Carol made a sour face, pouting about losing the round. Kevin grinned in the most irritating way he knew how. You can't get rid of me that easy. 
<laughs> Such trials as these doth life impose before thine ass, I blister rose. She peaked her eyebrows severely. You'll have to catch me first. He leapt theatrically to the left and stepped into Amos's room, then shouted back over his shoulder so she could hear. Why so touchy about this? I'm bored with the physics-maths angle, and I'm not convinced it would work. Judging by her voice, she'd headed down to Katie's room. Won't work, why not? He deposited a pile of towels onto his bed, then headed out the door and down one door to his room. Granted, everywhere in the universe has hydrogen and other molecules, but not everyone's going to have the same number system. He saw her emerge from Katie's room and skip across to Adele's as he ducked into his own. On Earth, it took hundreds of years of conquest and wars to standardize on base 10. And there's still tribes here and there that use base 4, base 5, or base 6. Mathematics isn't universal. It's just a description. You can still knock out numbers with a stick in base 1. Kevin set the load of towels onto the bed, then went to the dresser and made space for them in the drawer. He selected a pile of three green ones and stowed them while Carol answered. That's assuming that their number sense is roughly linear. If they had an early selective advantage to a logarithmic number sense instead of a linear one... Oh, come on, that's a stretch! While he was at it, Kevin grabbed a handful of clean rags out of his top drawer and stuffed their corners into his pockets for later. Say that again, Carol mumbled something back, just quietly enough that it wasn't intelligible. Say what? Kevin closed up the drawer and gathered the remaining towels back into his arms. I said, say that again after you've run into some. Oh, and you have? Well... He could hear her walking further down the hallway as she spoke. I've written about some. Did you get Adele's room yet? No, it's all yours. Okay. Kevin could have sworn he heard Carol go into Adele's room already, but he headed down there anyway. It doesn't matter what you've written before. The universal language is chemistry and math. Humor me! She shouted, definitely from her bathroom. We still doing the body painting today? Yeah. It'll be an hour or two until I get the paint sorted out. Kevin turned the knob to Adele's door and ducked inside. Okay, now chemistry and math. How would it work if those two things didn't work? Well, you'd have to do it like we do it now. Start out building a common symbol system. He counted out three more towels, a maroon that Adele particularly liked, and left them lovingly on the passenger side of her bed. Two loads left, one for the bathroom and for Jeremiah. They weren't called chores for no reason. He left Adele's room somewhat reluctantly and braved the hallway once again. Could take a long time, but if they qualify as life, there'll be some basic things in common, even if their eyes see different wavelengths or... Jeremiah! Towels! There was no reply, even after a second round of knocking. Kevin tried the handle, but it was locked. Oh well, if the brat wants to be that way. Kevin shrugged and moved on to the bathroom. Anyway, if their eyes see in different wavelengths, you've still got things like metabolism that all life forms present will have in common. Mmm, that might be a viable place to start. Carol emerged from her bedroom, dressed in a terry cloth robe. So long as nobody gets itchy fingers or mistakes the other for food. Where's Jeremiah? Still asleep. Locked his door. Oh, okay. She took one of the remaining stacks from him. I'll hang these up. Just stick his towels next to his door. You're asking me to leave something on the floor? Kevin widened his eyes as if beholding a monster. What have you done with my friend? Ha! It's better than having him come downstairs before he's had a shower. Kevin shrugged and returned to Jeremiah's door. He set the last of the towels down in a neat stack just off to the side so the kid wouldn't trip over them when he came out looking for the toilet. He turned back to Carol just as she re-emerged from the bathroom. So what's with the new getup? Well, I'm not coming back up here till you paint me. Kevin reached down to the hem of her robe and lifted it, eyeing her hips appreciatively. Oh, not a bad idea. Carol swatted his hand away. <laughs> Don't they teach you any manners at that particle accelerator of yours? 
Hell no, we're too busy ramming high-potency matter down long, curvy tubes. <laughs> You're telling me your cock is the size of a neutrino? She set off for the stairs, as if she'd finished all her relevant business here. That brought him up short. Kevin silently cursed, then followed along again, chastened. Okay, you win that one. You've been listening to episode 19 of Down From 10, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author.